Um, I do have a bit, but I don't think it'll make the final podcast. But I, I have, I have one. <laughs> I believe in your bit, and I think it will. So let's hear it. Uh, just like you never know, maybe someone's like their New Year's resolution. Let's try a new podcast. I don't know if this is the best way to start. Uh, it's gonna. It was. It was gonna be this, and this is just for us. All right, we got white podcast, black podcast, Spanish podcast, yellow podcast. We got hot podcast, cold <laughs> podcast. We even got horse podcast, dog podcast, chicken podcast. Come on, you want podcast? Come on in, podcast lovers. If we don't got it, you don't want it. Come on in, podcast lovers. Uh, welcome to 2024. <laughs> like I said, no, I, I, I think this has worked. I don't know if it works. I think this should be the opening for the show regularly. Uh, yeah. I stopped doing uh, replacing a word with podcast because it was just, you know, a blatant ripoff of blank check, which even though the few times I did that, I mentioned it's a blatant ripoff of blank check still felt like too much of a ripoff. So I stopped doing that. But maybe I can make an exception for this one. <laughs> I think you can. There's a lot of people in this movie we haven't talked about before. And um, oh, shit, I think you're right. Uh, it feels it's it's probably a good thing, but I feel like there's been multiple episodes in a row now where I've said that, and so um, I'll I'll try and think of a different way to put that, but I haven't yet. Anyway, uh, as you know, I don't know our side of the podcast, so it'll either be whatever survives from the few minutes we've been recording, or along <laughs> the lines of "Welcome to Late to the Movies." My name is Ben Holton. This is a podcast where my friends and I get to fill in our movie blind spots. Each week, we'll pick a film that either I or a guest hadn't seen before. And really should have by now. This week, continuing Dumpuary semicolon. Wait, no, just full colon. My bad. Oh, I fucked the whole thing up. I should start from the very beginning <laughs> with that whole quote again. Uh, no. Yeah. Dumpuary colon battle of the genres. We did comedy last week with Waiting for Guffman. Today, we're taking on, well, a master of genre and a movie that combines a lot of genres. But it is our horror entrant for the month. It is Robert Rodriguez's Ooh. From Dusk Till Dawn. Guess this week, left, right, cross, podcast. We got Vaz. Help me, Ben. I, I was going to say, it's a very quotable movie, but not like a movie that you'd want to record yourself quoting extensively. So I don't know how many yeah. quotes are going to work into it. <laughs> Definitely if I was like, I don't know, like a like a bro-y college dude in the 90s. I feel like it would have been an extremely quotable movie, but uh, I don't know about so much in my cards, I, you know? I feel like at least, or for like bro-y dudes back in the 90s, I felt like, I feel like this movie would have went a bit under their radar. Like this would That's have had like the film geek bros who would be like, oh, you got to see From Dust yes. Yeah, you have to appreciate the influences that Robert Rodriguez is, 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 you know, wearing on his sleeve here, maybe to, to really let yourself get subsumed by this particular aesthetic. I don't know. <laughs> I, but I do think of like the, the, the people who think like Martin Scorsese loves criminals and, and like, you know, Jordan Belfort, he just seems cool. I, I don't watch the last hour of Wolf of Wall Street because he's just so cool. I don't need to watch the last hour. I feel like those people are maybe just like, wow, these guys are all so cool. Maybe they, that would be their takeaway from this movie. But it, it, but to even get in the door, you'd, you'd have to be maybe a little bit more curious than than the average bro. Yeah, I think so. That's fair. I don't know if I knew this until the credits, but uh, Cheech Marin, one of the characters he plays, the one I quoted, his name is just Chet podcast i didn't know that uh, just to fully you know fully replace that word for this episode maybe um before we get into it though we, we texted about this a little bit earlier if you do have something that good that you've seen recently then uh by all means let, let that rip but gonna maybe go in a different direction since it's just you and i here and, and normally these one-on-one -on -one episodes go a little bit shorter 2023 at large, was there anything good you saw last year? Yeah, so, um, I mean, I know most of the people who listen probably don't have their own letterboxes, but uh, I, am on, I have a letterbox, and you've seen my letterbox. I've already put oh, yeah. together my, my list of uh, my favorite movies of last year that I've seen so far. Um, and I mean, for me, like, I was we'll talk about some recent ones that just came out. Uh, Poor Things, one of my favorite movies last year. Uh, New Yargos Smirnorf. I forget his name. 
uh, Yorgos Lanthimos. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I think he went Yakov Smirnov. Same guy, right? Yeah, same guy. Um, but just a like an incredibly strange, weird movie that is like just so unique and touching that. And some of the best performances I've seen this year, Mark Ruffalo is pretty great in this. He's very funny and uh, just giving something he hasn't done in his career before. Emma Stone arguably giving like her best performance in her career. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. I really want to. Uh, That's true of a lot of your top five or six movies. I haven't seen yet, but I really want to. (laughs) Yeah. Um, in May, December, which I is, was well, like my number three, and I'm like honestly dying to rewatch that movie again because it's so good. I, I, it could actually just become my favorite movie of last year. Um, that one I've heard with, that a lot. Yeah, I, w- I want to like go back and watch more Todd Haynes movies because I've, I think I've only seen like Carol, uh, before, uh, but I kind of really want to watch Safe. I've heard great things about that. And, um, and this one, like, I I know I just said Emma Stone just gave like one of her career best performances in poor things, but like, I think Natalie Portman gave her career best performance in, uh, May, December. She's incredible in that. Yeah. I like her a lot as an actor and I did, I guess I didn't realize that there's such a, um, I don't know, vocal contingent, but maybe minor contingent, whatever the people who care about stuff enough to talk about it online seem to think that Natalie Portman isn't that good of an actor. So the the fact that this is apparently one of her best performances is, is really intriguing to me. I am surprised that a lot of people don't think she's a great actor. Um, granted, I don't keep super online with that kind of stuff, but it seems a little strange. I mean, she's definitely yeah. hasn't been great in some movies, but uh, by and large, I think she's been, uh, she has a solid career. I mean, she convincingly fell in love with that literal toddler in that Star Wars movie. So, <laughs> oh, yes, I, mean, I know. Uh, the romance <laughs> of uh, our generation. Right, yeah. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe undercutting my own actual genuine belief that I think she's a great actress, but those movies are no one's fault. No, no. <laughs> that movie has way more problems that Nat- Nicole Kim- I mean, uh, that Natalie Portman could not control. Yeah, that's... So I feel like I'm 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 steering us off course. I'm I'm sorry. Anything else good uh, from last year? Um, just I'm gonna wrap. My favorite movie of last year was Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. Uh, Love Past Lives. Uh, Oppenheimer is still something that I think about a lot, and I I know it's three hours, but I really want to watch that like again soon. Maybe a few more times. Um, Boy in the Heron, new Miyazaki film. Also, gotta say, I am so happy to have gotten a new Miyazaki film that I can see in theaters for like yeah. with everyone else for the first time. Uh, that was that was a, a big gift for me this year. Yeah, it was his first movie in what a decade, pretty much. And uh, yeah, supposedly he is working on another movie. He didn't retire after this one, so. Hopefully that that opportunity will come up again because it is a it is a special thing a, a legitimate master of the form a, a lot of those guys and ladies considered legitimate masters made movies yep. this year and uh, good good year for movies yeah just solid year um just I I'm uh not a hundred percent looking forward to well uh, I'm a little worried about the movie crop uh, for next year considering the dual strikes we had. The one saving grace of the stuff that got pushed back is at least Dune will be this year. I am yes. really looking forward to Dune. Um, I'm also looking forward to The Bike Riders, which was supposed to come out in December yeah. of last year, uh, but got pushed to like June of this year. Uh, but that one looks great. Uh, so how about you, Ben? What do you got from uh Yeah, so um, not, not like super low on your list, but definitely higher on my list is Asteroid City. Um, which is now, now that pretty much all the critics, um, awards happened at the end of the year and you already see like what's getting nominated for golden globes, which happened yesterday when this episode comes out. Oh, I forgot um, about that. Feels like people forgot about Asteroid City. Uh, and Wes, Wes Anderson movies never get a lot of respect for award stuff, but I thought Asteroid City was phenomenal. 
I don't get it. I like I, I love I really love what Wes Anderson's been doing, like especially recently, where he just like he's just been deconstructing so much of like his like stories and narrative. Like yep. it's wild. And I I, re- I just watched the um the his Netflix shorts that he did for the Rodolph um specials. Yes. Um and those are all like incredibly great and like the production value i mean the production design on those were just incredible and like even the deconstruction that he does in those is like yeah fascinating i i'm loving where he's going right now so that'd be my big one a lot of my top ones are on your list also um i want to see if there's any other big standouts for my list uh you didn't mention john wick four which was also really oh, high yeah. on my that list was really high on mine. I watched. A, I saw that movie three times in theaters. Like I could not get enough of it. I would watch that again now. It's just, I, yeah. I I love the John Wicks and like that last hour of that movie is just like action perfection. I think we both like Bo's Afraid a decent amount. Yep, yep. <laughs> we we've spent a lot of time talking about Bo's Afraid on the podcast. <laughs> um, I like the holdovers a lot. And yeah, same. I, I think I'm higher on Maestro than you were based on your list, but I think you still liked Maestro, right? Yeah, I like Maestro. But do you want to talk about From Dust Till Dawn? Oh, um, I got like a few minutes, so sure. Okay, cool. Uh, 1996's From Dust Till Dawn, a Robert Rodriguez film. We've never done any of his movies before. I had not seen this movie fully before. Uh, weirdly, last week with Waiting for Guffman, I mentioned that I had started watching it at some point in college and then like, I didn't make it all the way through. Same with from dust till dawn. Um, I think I, I got, I don't know, five minutes in and then it was just like, I don't think I'm in the mood for this. And I never went back to it. So I had not seen it before. How about you? Uh, I know, I think maybe like 10, nine years ago, I watched it with like some friends at one of our houses. It was like looking for something on Netflix to watch. And we just chose from dust till dawn. I remember enjoying it. Uh, don't remember yeah. much else, though. I guess either of us in that case can, are eligible for a one-minute plot summary. Do you want to? Do you have uh, anything prepped, or you want me to do it? What, what, what do you feel? Uh, I got nothing prepped, but I can uh, come up with something on the fly. I honestly even better that, we, that you do this part of the uh, as a po- for the podcast. Yeah, I think it's I think it's helpful for listeners. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, go for it whenever you're ready. All right, all right, all right. Um, all right, we got two brothers. They are criminals. And they are dumb. Well, at least one is psychotic and the other one is barely keeping it together. Um, and then there's also another family, a uh, dad who's a priest. Uh, that'll come up later. And he, he has two kids. One is an over-sexualized uh, daughter and uh, the other is uh, his son. Uh, they get uh, wrangled into the two brother criminals, uh, uh, mishaps, um, and they travel down to Mexico. They end up at a bar called the Titty Twister. At the Titty Twister, they're having fun, you know, a bunch of naked ladies around. And then it turns out that uh, Quentin Tarantino has a foot fetish that's pretty bad. And, uh, oh, and also vampires are there. They kill the vampires. Uh, and the whole movie changes from a, a typical uh, uh, crime movie uh, to a uh, monster flick. Uh, end story. Yeah, so the low-hanging fruit joke is to be like, yeah, it says, I'm, I'm reading the Wikipedia for it, and it says here that in, in lieu of payment, Quinn Tarantino demanded that there was a scene where he drinks tequila, poured down Selma Hayek's foot. Um, that, but that's 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 below us, so we won't make that joke. Yeah. Um, so I, what I was going to say before I remembered that we do a woman plot summary is one of the fun things that I like to... Uh, kind of do because uh, it makes the podcast's theme make sense. What what I was surprised about, having not seen this before, structurally, how much time it takes before they actually get to the titty twister, the bar where the vampires are. Um, And I was also surprised. I don't think I knew Harvey Keitel was in this movie, and I don't think I knew Juliette Lewis was in this movie. But what I did know was Clooney, Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, vampires in a bar, um, and they get like, you know, it's, it's sort of like a shootout thing in the bar. Um, shootout, holding a location, all that kind of stuff. I thought it was fun that the son of Harvey Keitel's character is wearing a Precinct 13 shirt, yep, nodding like to that. Assault on Precinct 13, I'm assuming. 
um, the John Carpenter movie in which that kind of thing happens. That's what that whole movie is. An even cleaner narrative than this movie, which becomes a really clean narrative, but the first 45 minutes are a little messy, I guess. Yeah. I mean, um, I no, think messy's messy's the wrong word, but just as like going into this going, okay, I know this is sort of a genre mashup thing, but I know they're ending up at a bar that they don't know is vampires. And then it turns into vampires. And I, I was surprised that it took them almost half the movie to get to that bar. <laughs> I, th- I think it was an hour when they, like the reveal came that it was vampires. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's almost an hour to get to the bar. And then it is like another, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes that they're at the bar before it's like, okay, vampire time. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I, for some reason thought there were, it was more the vampire stuff than it was the uh, Quincy Artino typical like '90s film. I know, yeah, and it's um, it's hard to separate all of this from Tarantino. I mean, he did write it, so that's I guess fair enough. Story by Robert Kurtzman. Tarantino's the screenplay, though. Um, Robert Kurtzman, Robert Rodriguez, Greg Nicotero, Tom Savini, who's actually in the movie. Um, a lot of lot of like huge names in special effects and creature effects and makeup artists doing a lot of stuff in this movie, um, which I was also surprised at looking at the credits list of like a lot of names that I recognize, but not as actors or as writers are guys who are involved in this movie also. It feels like, well, I mean, great. like this was the first collaboration between Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, though I know if I remember what I write correctly, it was kind of by accident because I think they just like Robert Rodriguez was just attached to it. And then it just turned out like, Oh, Quentin Tarantino was writing it as well. Oh, cool. It matches up a lot with at least Robert Rodriguez's influences and to an extent Tarantino's influences with the kind of grindhousey stuff. But yeah. Uh, yeah. It's inter- interesting that it's not that there's not also a screenplay credit for Robert Rodriguez. Cause it does feel like it's more his shit so to speak. Yeah. It really does. Like, I I don't know if, like, I, it feels like it would have been, like, Quentin Tarantino was writing it, and then, like, in the background, Robert Rodriguez is there, and he's just saying, like, and then there's vampires, and then people are, like, throwing holy water on them, and, like, half their face is missing. Yeah, and it, it turns out that it's the top floor of an Aztec pyramid at the end. Like, that doesn't yeah. feel like a Tarantino thing. Um, and Danny Trejo's there. That's that was just in the script. Danny Trejo's there. Um, all, all feels very Rodriguez. Anyway, yeah. Um, uh, and, and in case you didn't know, because sometimes we make the mistake of being like, "Oh yeah, we all know this guy's whole deal." Uh, Robert Rodriguez. He directed the five Spy Kids movies. There you go. Yes. Um, <laughs> and he did nothing else. Nothing else. Uh, of years later, made homemade Grindhouse with Tarantino. One of the fake trailers from that, Eli Roth's Thanksgiving, just got made into a real movie. Another fake trailer from that, Machete, also turned into an actual movie. Which um, was directed by Robert Rodriguez, right? Yes, yes. Yes. So I think that's him working with Trejo, Machete, Spy Kids, I guess, culturally, is maybe the bigger of the things. But, uh, you know, El Mariachi coming up in the 90s indie shit with Tarantino, yeah. kind of hitting right around the same time, I guess. No, Mariachi, I mean, I haven't seen the movie, but it is like a kind of just an important like film in history uh, since it was just like Rodriguez just made it for like $7,000. Like, yes. showing like, hey, you can just make a movie. It's just use what you got. And he has that book, um, Rebel Without a Crew. Yeah. Yeah, this is, I mean, both of these guys are part of a huge industry industry shift towards, you know, who has power, who's allowed to make movies. Um, these kind of like outsider nerds, really. The, yeah. These guys who are obsessed with the history of film, but not with like, you know, uh, so all the things that are getting put out for like the hundred years of Warner brothers and stuff this year, they're obsessed with the exploitation films with, um, the grindhouse shit, obviously, yeah. you know? So that's, that's, I think, so that's why this feels like such a love letter from Rod Rodriguez to his stuff in the same way that like Jackie Brown for Quentin Tarantino feels similarly in that vein um, for the black exploitation movies that he problematically loves. 
<laughs> well, you know, he's a. Uh, uh, yeah. A, okay. There's a, um, <laughs> there's a bit of that kind of writing that uh, Quentin Tarantino seems to love in this movie as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> um, I I liked how goofy it got, how Evil Dead it gets, how Sam Raimi, I guess, even more to the point, it gets once once the vampire shit goes off, and it's not that precious about you know who lives, who dies, who gets mutilated, who blows up. Yeah, um, um, I, thought, I thought all that was pretty fun. <laughs> Did you have any favorite kills in uh, during that sequence? Um, I like, I like when the uh, I can't remember the the big guy Frost. I think his name is Frost. Yeah, when Frost um, pulls the heart out of like the the giant vampire guy. Yeah, and, I, I like that. And he's not like, and he's like kind of down for the count, but he's not dying. And then uh, mentioned Tom Zavini, his character's name is Sex Machine. Um, he stabs the heart, the it with, just with the pencil, and then the guy like dies and 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 like you know, catches on fire. That's that's a good gag. That's a really good gag. That was a great gag. I love that gag. I uh, liked it when I think most of my favorite kills are from Frost. Uh, when Frost, yeah. uh, um, like stakes four different women on yeah. the same table. Basically has to like Brock Lesnar F5 all of them like yep. from his shoulders onto the table legs to stake them. Um I liked that it was very I in in a way that's consistent with the aesthetic of this movie with the sort of uh, the language of what's happening on screen the inconsistency with how much force is needed to kill the vampires, to stake the vampires, whatever. Um, I, I liked that. That sometimes like you really needed to like get some, get a lot of power behind it. Or sometimes it's just like Juliette Lewis, who's playing, I think a, f- a pretty young girl in this. I want to say 16 that she's playing. Yeah. Convincingly, which is that, that's a different thing we can get into. But so, yeah, those were my favorite kills. Any, any other like, you know, I, I once the sun started happening and people were just exploding, I thought that was really funny. Yeah, that was great. Um, Harvey Keitel's uh, death um, yeah. where he, like he loses half his face, I think was really great. Yes. Um, Robert Rodriguez is actually in the movie. He, I believe he's the band leader uh, in the the strip club. Oh, nice. Um, and I like, I like that the band just blows themselves up. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Or like, fuck you and good night. And then they, yep. yeah, they're gone. Um, I liked that. Also, like the, the stuff that changes once the vampire stuff changes, it's like some of it is just people's face change and they look gnar- more gnarly, very Buffy the Vampire Slayer-esque. Um, some people like. I think this is during. Right? Okay, I can't remember when Buffy the TV show started. Um, ninety-seven pre-Buffy. Okay, Ooh. March ninety-seven. So a full year and change. So they were probably in development. Um. Okay. So yeah. So Buffy varied from Dust Till Dawn, I should say. Um. But then, like Salma Hayek is kind of like a lizard. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yep, yep. Some people like Frost, they have like very monstery kind of looking faces, not just like more aggressive versions of their own face. Some people become like really like loose fleshy monster kind of people, a la the old lady and barbarian. Um I, I like that it's just sort of all over the place. I think it's good. I think that's a good thing. I think so too. Like I like the variety in all of the uh uh, vampires they were doing and yep. I like that when Sex Machine turns into a vampire dog very the thing the thing definitely yeah. before this <laughs> yes um, um, yeah. and I don't know about you but I felt that George Clooney's um, stake um, jackhammer was not incredibly effective no, when when holy water instantly is killing these people, like 
grab a fucking bucket. What are we doing, guys? Yeah, like and they like they they have just as much holy water as they can make. Yeah, just do it's, all that. It's dumb. It's that that part's a little bit frustrating as a viewer. I, I mean, and I'm talking about how much I'm enjoying the inconsistency, and that is part of it too. And I'm sure that's yeah. a conscious choice. But that still is sort of like, I mean, that on, there's guys. a there, there's a couple innocent people that didn't have to die here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not talking about Tarantino, but the kid, the kid with the precinct 13 shirt. I did look up if you could buy that shirt. You can. I oh, might. Nice. <laughs> It's a good um, shirt. It's a really good shirt. And it's it's kind of like you have to specifically look up a From Dust Till Dawn Precinct 13 shirt because if you look up an Assault from Precinct 13 shirt, that's it's just like the movie poster for a different movie. Um, a couple of the things that did surprise me, the structure, the pacing. I, I don't think it's that big of a surprise that since we started talking about the movie, we're focusing a lot on the last 40 minutes of the hour and 45 minutes because... Um, that first hour doesn't do a lot for me, to be honest. <laughs> uh, so I will say I did. I actually really enjoyed the beginning part of the movie where it was like John sure. Hawks and um, Earl uh, McGraw. I forgot his name. That I did like. That's fair. And um, Hawk, young, young Hawks. Yes. Looking squarely. I, I, I checked out the like the IMDb after this and like was seeing who was in the movie. And I was like, oh, I, I didn't even know that was John Hawks until after. No. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that's literally the only person who looks like that. But still. Yep. <laughs> uh, but I loved his whole like scene and the whole gas station thing. Yes. And them walking. I mean, it, it does feel like the idea you have and then you work backwards from the image yep. of the two brothers having just like a sibling style uh, normal argument while the epic action movie explosions are happening behind them and they are not even paying attention to it. Yeah, I I, I, I did enjoy that part. Yeah. Uh, but then after that, it gets a little... Um, uh, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it's, I don't care for a lot of the Tarantino stuff in there. Like, I just found no. that a little more unnecessary or gross. I don't know. Yeah, like the, the the all the stuff that happens with the bank teller. Like, yeah, I, I guess it's all it is part of the the world that they're trying to build and the kind of things that happen in the kind of movies that they're being inspired by. But it's not that doesn't make it like enjoyable to watch. Yeah. Um, um it's pretty yeah, it's not good. And then um yeah, and it, it does really feel like they're explicitly having Juliette Lewis play like 15 or 16 here. So. Yeah, it, and it's just like, I don't know why Juliette And I think she's Lewis, like 26. I think she is. Because so. I did check to see like how old is Juliette Lewis at this point. Because I was thinking like, she got like super typecast like in the 90s of just being like, oh, you're going to play like a young girl who is like, looked at as a like in a sexy way or something like that or as yeah. a sexual figure this this is like weirdly kind of after that and she she's playing like way younger here than yeah i don't know like, this is this is after strange days you know this is way after uh, cape fear not that she's playing super old in cape fear or anything yeah I, and at least at cape fear she's 18 in that like right. in real life yeah and um it's after natural born killers yeah like she's played an adult, <laughs> but like, yes. yeah. And I mean, she just has such a unique presence in movies, especially, in, you know, nineties movies, but yes. Um, yeah, it's weird. So this is, I mentioned all the people we haven't talked about before. This is our second Juliette Lewis movie. Do you know what the first one was? Uh, it's gotta be strange days. No, or... we haven't. no one's been brave enough to do. We'll do a <laughs> cyberpunk month eventually. Uh, I don't know though. Uh, Christmas Vacation. Uh, I never saw Christmas Vacation. I didn't even oh. know she was in that. Yes, she's the daughter in that one. Um, Christmas Vacation is what the third vacation or the second one? The the kids are different in every movie, but oh, that's I didn't know that. yeah, which which is weird. Um, but it's 
That movie is Johnny Galecki and Juliette Lewis are the kids. Hmm. And only in that movie. Okay. Like, uh, the first one's Anthony Michael Hall, right? I I cannot tell you very much about the uh, That's vacation fine. movies. I've seen the first one and I didn't enjoy it. You're my go-to for all Chevy Chase related trivia. Come on. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll catch up on Chevy Chase movies. Okay. Wait, um, have we not talked about Tarantino? You haven't done a Tarantino movie before? Nope. Oh, I just assumed you did like Pulp Fiction or uh, uh, something. Glorious Bastards, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Almost did Pulp Fiction also like two years ago. Um, and then Greg and Ray were going to do it and then they got sick. And then uh, we started doing themes shortly after that. It was far enough back that we weren't doing themes yet. Um, okay. And we started doing themes shortly after that. And like, we haven't done something that Tarantino fits into yet. I love a lot of Tarantino movies. Okay. here. Well, you know what? Here's a, here's a good time. Let's do the Tarantino thing that we talked okay. about. Let's you talk got, about Tarantino. Um, he's not a good actor. He never is. No, but, he's never is. <laughs> Uh, he's not great in this movie. His, but he's, it does, it is unfortunately the, the, the role that maybe plays the most into his public persona of, I, uh, being kind of creepy. Uh, I think that's right. Cause he, I mean, I will give Tarantino this. He looks unique. Like yes. there's not many people who look like that. Um, but like, he is just weirdly a creep. Yes. Seemingly in his, in his own life, he's sort of just a super nerd. He's just like the most successful possible version of the, um, like video store hipsters that would, you know, tell you, Oh, don't watch that. You should watch this instead. That, that worked at blockbuster or whatever. And it was, um, not, not making that up. It's that's literally like his backstory. It wasn't a blockbuster, but whatever it was. And he's got that podcast now with his sometimes creative partner who also worked at that store with him. Um, but yeah. Uh, so that uh, aspect of Tarantino, I don't mind that much. I like that. There is some weird uh, guy who just knows everything about movies and will just rattle them off like crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's more the his weird obsession with feet and how open he gets to be about it. Yeah, and that's that's reached like meme level. It's it's like impossible to talk about him without that coming up. But it's yeah, in, totally in like in in our defense in this particular movie, he does suck on Salma Hayek's foot for a while. <laughs> yeah, and considering it's a movie he wrote, <laughs> right? Yeah, he wrote that. Like he knew he was going to play that part. And it's like, oh, weird. I have to do this with Salma Hayek? <laughs> I didn't know we were shooting that today. I I, I didn't even read the script. It's like, no, I guess you can't claim that, buddy. Oh, uh, hey, Robert, I think we're going to have to do that shot again. I think I uh, messed it up. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to avoid. Um, and then the other Tarantino thing we can do is he's a great director. Uh, one of my favorite. I love a lot of his movies. Seems uh, like he same. was, seems like he was mean to Uma Thurman and, and she got injured while shooting Kill Bill. And that sucks too. Yeah. Um, Tarantino also had that connection to Weinstein. That's not so great. This, this also a Miramax film, I believe. Yep. Yep. Um, although I will say the beginning of this movie starts with, I think just the dimension logo. Um, yeah. And then it goes straight into the movie. There's nothing else after that. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, and Miramax thing does come at the very like after the credits. I liked the opening credits too. After the gas station. That yes, cool. I do too. Those were good. But yeah, do you have a general Tarantino sort of hit list ranking? Anything like that? Yeah, yeah. I um. So my favorite probably still just Pulp Fiction. I mean, it's a uh, a classic for a reason, and uh, it feels like like everyone has said like everything that needs to be said about that movie, but it's still like great. Uh, um, Kill Bill volume one. I'm a big fan of, I love his action in that. Um, after that, I probably would go, uh, Inglorious Bastards, uh, Once Upon a Time, Jackie Brown. I'm a big fan of actually. 
um, Reservoir Dogs, and then near the bottom, probably just Django and uh, Hateful Eight. Yeah, Hateful Eight I haven't seen yet, and I don't feel super motivated to, because I think it's towards the bottom of most people's rankings, and it also looked like not a fun hang. <laughs> um, So I I, th- it, I think the movie's still good, the Hateful Eight, and it looks great. Like, it's yeah. one of his most beautiful movies. Um, And I really love the idea behind it, but it's also um, not one of his more interesting ones. I, I, I rewatched it like a few years ago and it really did not grab me as much as like his other stuff does. Um, okay. And his dialogue, it just, I don't think works as well in that one. I will get to it someday, but I just haven't <laughs> yet. But yeah, yeah. I, I think probably bastards for me is, is, is my favorite of his. It's the only one with Mike Myers and that guy was the love guru. So there you go. <laughs> I mean, you can't beat that. Uh, what a perfect transition back to the movie we're actually talking about, though. Tarantino dies pretty early in this one. I was surprised by that. Also surprised by the fact, um, maybe even more so surprised by the fact that Salma Hayek said like one scene. Yeah, I, like, I, I know, thought that yeah. she was going to be like a bigger thing in this movie. The So the the impression I had of this movie, just based on like, you know, absorbing through cultural osmosis, what it was about uh, a lot more with the vampires and all also Salma Hayek is the main antagonist and, and has like a essentially a starring role. I think she is third build if I'm not wrong, but well, maybe Har- Harvey Keitel probably. I think is. it's Keitel, but I th- think she's right after that. Yeah. Um, right. It, it definitely has to be Keitel. Um, but yeah, I think she is like the next name that comes up. And it's in like a block of names, but still, I assume like, yes, of course, everyone knows Salma Hayek's in this. And it turns out all the images I've seen of Salma Hayek in this movie are from the same about three and a half to four minute span. <laughs> um, I mean, because she pops up, she does her dance, she turns into a lizard vampire and she it is killed and yep. does not come back. She turns and into goo. Gone. Yes, conclusively. I did like how conclusively some people died that they uh, they burned up or or gooed, they gooed up and also burned at the same time. Yeah, I did like that. Uh, Cheech Marin kept popping up though. Three different roles. Yep, that was well, fun. That, I, I did that part. I really enjoyed. Um, I did laugh when the reveal that he was Carlos, the Carlos that suggested this place, because one place is as good as any other. <laughs> Um, as a place to meet up. And then also him saying like, you said you wanted to meet in the morning. Like we're here. What's the problem? <laughs> yeah, that, that was good. And that Carlos had no idea of anything that was going on at the titty twister. It's just a place he drove by a bunch. Yep. Leading to him, um, feeling sorry enough that he lowers his rate from 30% of the loot to 25% of the loot. <laughs> and I like that. It was, he got him like, Cheech said that he got it to down to, he said he would do 20% and then they both decided to go for 25. Yeah. It's good. It's good. It is. Uh, and you said this is the first uh, Clooney film you did, right? I think I'm trying to think like what else we would have done, but have it's just like, fantastic? no, no. Okay. I no, 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 no. Oh shit. Fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did. We did. Okay. We did. Okay. Yes, that was last year in fall, last November, we did animation movies. Okay, all right. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we've done Fantastic Mr. Fox, but one where he appears on screen. And I think this is probably the peak um Caesar cut Clooney, also. 96 is like the absolute this is the the George Clooney hairstyle, the signature hairstyle. I feel like this is it. Yeah, I think this is it, and um, like especially for you know, you know, young Clooney. Uh, yeah. Um, I also don't think Clooney can pull off tattoos. I it just does it not doesn't work for him. It doesn't look correct. No, no, it looks like it. Like he, he like it just look makes him look like an actor. Yeah, like this guy, even though he is a criminal that's just been broken out of prison, like. He just doesn't. It looks like it's and it it's makeup on. This dude would not have a full tribal sleeve, you know. Yeah, like this, that's not this guy's vibe. 
Um, but I did, I did really like Clooney in this film. Um, and it is like one of his first like major pictures that he did too, or one. Yeah. I think at least his first starring one. Yeah, and it's weird to think back on that because this is you're watching this movie going like, oh man, it's weird that Clooney's in this movie, but it's not like he had a huge movie career yet. Yeah, and which is always just so wild to me because like, how do you not like see Clooney? then see him act and then like see his like charisma and be like, Oh, like obviously we just make him a star of a movie. He just couldn't get out of ER. Oh, um, that emergency room. That emergency room. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's considered according to what his first major Hollywood role from dust till dawn. There you go. Yep. Um, you have, uh, uh, and then uh, he goes into he, Superdrive. This is a year before Batman and Robin. Wow. Okay. Do you think people saw this and were like, "This is going to be our next Batman"? Kinda. I mean, it's an action movie, right? Yep, it's an action movie. He's carrying like, most of it. There's nothing else they can pull it from. Like, he's doing TV melodrama or this. And if it's the next year, he he probably has to get cast off of this. Yeah, and I like I imagine they were pro- they were thinking like it's Batman, that's gonna sell like tickets already. Uh, yeah. Let's just get some handsome guy to play uh, to play him, and that it should be fine. Yeah, Val Kilmer's not coming back, but we got Joel Schumacher still on board. Like, just get just get a guy with a chin in there. Yeah, get him with a butt. I will say I actually do like, I don't know if it's just because of all the superhero movies we gotten recently, but the forever and Robin, uh, I actually don't think they're that bad. They're distinct. That's, that is uncommon these days, as you can see by, you know, um, the, the reception, let's say that, um, Aquaman two is getting at the theater right now. Yes. Or the reception that uh, the Marvels got. Yeah. Um, Uma Thurman genuinely good in and in, in and Robin. Uh, I agree. <laughs> I, she's camping it up really well. She's the only one who understands that that's what she is supposed to do. I yes. Um, gratuitous shots of Batman's ass. Thank you, Joel Schumacher. Weird movie. Uh, speaking of weird movies, uh, it says we've been recording for a little over an hour. I'm not sure how much of this has been about from dusk till dawn, but uh, uh, good enough amount. Harvey Cottel's good at it. I like I like his stuff. Yeah, I like his stuff. Uh, I like. I mean, Harvey he... Cottel, good actor. Not not that you know hot of a take, but still, he's an underrated actor. I feel. I think so. Yeah. People don't talk about him as much, or don't talk about his career as much as they should. So this is after, so Piano is what, 93? Pulp Fiction 94? I, yes, I think that's correct. So it's a couple of years after that. And like, is that, is, that is that his peak? Kaitao's peak? Probably. I don't know. I, I mean, the piano is huge for like award circuit stuff, and then Pulp Fiction is huge for like changing the industry stuff, but it's not like he's the star of Pulp Fiction, but it's, he obviously stands out in the scenes he's in. Yeah. Um, did he and Scorsese have like a falling out? Cause I know he did mean streets, but like, uh, he really had to work with Kaitel that much. Yeah. I don't know. There's a thing that God, what it's probably blank check has talked about that literal exact question. And I feel like they came down on it's it's one of those things where like people don't like working with him because he's because he's an asshole, which oh. is which is believable. Yeah, that's believable. I can see that. Yeah. Um I mean he's in the Irishman. Yeah. Uh but that was quite a few years later. Yeah. That's um so Taxi Driver, 76, Last Temptation of Christ, he's big in 88, and then 88 to 2019 is the yeah. gap between their collabs. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm i not going to leave that in, but that's just like, there's something they've talked about, like, okay, why did, 
It was probably in the piano episode. <laughs> um, or maybe the Holy Smoke episode. They had the Kaitel talk. And, like, why did he stop working with Scorsese? Why didn't it ever, like, you know, what, what's his actual peak? That all those conversations for sure happened with people who have a much more inside knowledge than I do. So, seek it out. Um, he's good in this. I like his faithless preacher thing. It's an obvious thing, but, like, we're playing with archetypes here on purpose, and, and I think it really fits here. Yeah, I think it works. Uh, I like... Um... I think he's, he kind of seems like a good dad in this movie too. He does. Cares a lot about his kids. Yeah. Like that. He's like, even with essentially a gun to his head is still like takes offense to them calling him his son, Japanese and corrects them. Yeah. I really like his, um, how his character, uh, even when it, like, it doesn't matter when it happens. He's always like, it feels like he's always challenging Clooney. um, on yeah. like how to treat him or like how he should treat uh himself. Yeah. And just giving him perspective too. Like you are you such a loser that you don't already know when you've won. Yeah. I really like that scene actually a lot. That's a good a good face up thing. And then they have like a tense drink together with some kind of mutual respect based on animosity. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, it is. It's a, and it's uh, something that you wouldn't expect from this uh, surprise vampire movie. And again, I think us talking about the parts of this movie that we were excited to talking talk about, ninety percent of what we've talked about is the last forty five percent of the movie, and pretty much none of it is Quentin Tarantino. Nope. <laughs> a filmmaker I love, a guy I'm not sure I'd want to hang out with, and an actor I think is terrible. All valid responses. Uh, also, uh, I don't know if, how many like Tarantino movies you've seen where he's only written them and was directed by someone else. Yeah. But um, not a big fan of a lot of them. This is probably actually my favorite of them. What's the list on that? I don't have it in my head. I don't have all of it in my head, but I know there's True Romance, which was um, okay. yeah. Tony Scott's. Yeah. And the other one, the other noticeable one is uh, Natural Born Killers, which was uh, um, Oliver Stone. Oh, sure. Uh, when's the last time he did acting? He was in Django. Django, yeah. Was he in um, Once Upon a Time? I don't think he was. Technically, he has a voice cameo as someone directing a Red Apple Cigarettes commercial. That's it. Oh, it's and at the beginning of the movie, right? I think yes. And then a voice cameo as narrator in Hateful Eight. But I think okay. his last time on screen, not as himself in like a documentary, uh, is Django. That makes sense. Oh, well, I mean, that that's the last time I can remember seeing him on screen in an acting performance. Yeah. But as far as like actual big acting this is sort of this is as big as role as the biggest actor. role right yeah i mean he he gets to pop up and say some slurs in pulp fiction but that's <laughs> yep. he gets not to as pop big up. a role as this yeah and he in django he got to say some slurs in there too that's true that's true all right we should uh should maybe wrap on let's wrap on from dust till dawn um Clooney, there, there is a nice, like, getting ready for the final stand moment. Again, very assault on Precinct 13, which is itself a loose remake of Rio Grant, I want to say. A Rio Bravo? One of those Rios. Um, I think it's Rio Bravo. Rio Bravo, yeah. Um, and also just, like, a thing that happens in Western movies a lot. So, you know, no need to credit any one particular person, is what I'm saying. But um, it's nice. They get the stuff together. I like a lot, even right before that, I should say when Harvey Keitel figures out that a baseball bat and a shotgun can be a cross. Yep. Um, I, and even, even though it's like keeping everyone away from him, he still does blow some people away with the shotgun and then copy yeah. with the baseball bat, which is good. Uh, I also like when they're trying to figure out like how to beat zombies uh, they were like, oh, we need crosses. 
And they were like, oh, we got none. And then they were like, oh, can we just put two pieces of wood together? And they're like, all right, we got plenty of those. Okay. All right. So in that case, we're all set on crosses. What else do we know? What do we got? And uh, I think there's a line from Kaitel where it's like, okay, does anyone has anyone read a book on vampire that isn't like made up? Yeah. And then he's, he's very logically, okay, what do we know about these vampires? What have we just <laughs> seen? Um, I like, I, it feels like um, it's better than when things try and pretend that like, oh, vamp, you've never heard of vampires, which is um, the one, I won't even say it's a flaw because I still think Midnight Mass is perfect, but it's definitely like, it's weird that no one brings up, it seems like there's a vampire in this town. Um, but yeah, I like that. They're like, okay, obviously none of us believe in vampires. Let's get past this. We all know what we just saw. What do we know about these things? They're definitely vampires. What do we do? We don't believe in them, but Hey, they're here. We, we are in it, so to speak. Um, yeah, I, I like all that. I like their last stand. And then I like that. It doesn't go that well. Oh, yes. and with the conversation where they're comparing notes, I like when they're talking about uh, sex machine says like it's something about silver. And then the kid's <laughs> like, no, that's that's werewolves. And then sex machine's like, no, no, that I know that's silver bullets, but I feel like silver is somehow related to vampires too. Getting into the minute details of yeah. like, this doesn't matter, but we are going to talk about it. Yeah. And then it, it's probably Kai Teller or Clooney that's like, well, we don't have any silver anyway, so let's move the fuck on. <laughs> I think um, that whole conversation uh, was one of my favorite parts of the movie. It's it's good. Their their vibes are good. Tom yes, Savini's character, which I keep saying because I don't love saying "sex machine" over and over. Um, it's he's all his stuff's good. I like that he's got a gun on his crotch that seems to be like segue, like a segue mentally controlled. Um, there doesn't seem to be any any trigger that he's doing with his hands or anything. It just yeah, sort of knows when to pop out and shoot. And there's not even like, he's not even like doing a thrust it's just to like pop it out. It just kind of pops out. Yep. It's good. Uh, he's also maybe besides Ross, the most effective zombie killer. I mean, a uh, vampire. Oh, killer. Yeah. 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 He's, um, I mean, him and Frost are the only non main characters that make it through to, to the later stages. So, Oh, and, um, we didn't, we didn't even bring this up. The, uh, um, when Sex Machine is turning into a vampire, he is just hiding any part of him that is vampire-like by like just putting it, like closing his mouth or hiding behind his hands. Yeah, it's it it's nice that the rules don't work the same for everyone about how quickly it takes, and I like that they. Harvey Keitel gets bitten on his way in to like meet up with the other people in, in the, in the warehouse where, where they, you know, uh, arm themselves and get, get ready. And he's like, for, uh, you know, I'm probably going to turn into a vampire within the hour. And that made me laugh. Cause it's like, for some of these people, it took 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> like Frost, it was like, he got bitten. He was like, well, I'm already a vampire. Yeah. Like Keitel should not have gone in there. Um, because yeah, been like, 10 minutes just explaining like no you have to kill me if i turn yeah no i don't believe you so i'm gonna shoot myself in the head that goes on for a while yeah it does i'm like you're wasting time really wasting time um so do you want to get into ratings or anything else to say about this i guess so clooney and juliette lewis are the other ones who survive carlos shows up clooney go continues on to el rey Yep, El oh. Rey, which I believe was a reference to The Getaway. Oh, I thought it was a reference to the TV channel that uh, Robert Rodriguez would create 17 years later. But uh, you're uh, you're probably right. No, I, I think it's both. Okay. Lucha Underground, good show. Um, And uh, I guess I'd however old... Um, we haven't said her. I think her name was Kate. Juliet Lewis's Kate, character. Kate, Kate, yeah. Yeah. Harold Kate is, she, I guess, gets in the RV and drives back to America to start a new life. And the problem with her driving that RV, she does not have the correct license to do it. No, that's an important, an important point earlier in the film. He has a, uh, a commercial truck license, I believe. 
Yes, which allows them to uh, be served at the titty uh, bar. Yes. Because Trejo's going to throw them out otherwise. Also, By the way, young, young Trejo. Yeah. It was nice seeing him in that. Yeah, and I know his whole thing is like he's he's had, you know, a pretty rough life, but he look it looks like it's been more than uh twenty-six-ish years since this movie came out when you see Trejo and you see Clooney. Yeah. Uh like, Trejo has not aged as well as Clooney has. No. And maybe even bringing Clooney into it's probably unfair, but those guys have not aged at the, on the same uh linear time. They, it's it is probably unfair because Clooney is you know, Clooney, but uh, it is it is striking. It is striking for sure. Um, okay, let's get into ratings on a scale of point five to five on any scale of your choosing. What would you give any scale besides stars? What would you give Robert Rodriguez's From Dust Till Dawn? I would give it uh, three and a half penis guns out of five. Uh. That's yeah, it's you know you gotta watch out for that. If you if you try and pull a knife on sex machine, you're gonna get the gun. It's just how it goes. And you and it's not an embarrassing way to go. You don't wanna you don't want that on your tombstone or in your obituary. No, crotch rocketed by a sex machine, and people aren't gonna know <laughs> what that means unless they're uh, you know regulars at the Titty Twister. Now I feel like mine should also be sex machine related. He's, he has a whip that he barely uses. Yeah, but it's so effective when he uses it. It is. So, yeah, I think I'll go with three and a half um, real clear opportunities to have defended yourself better against all these vampires out of five <laughs> for me. Uh, tongue in cheek. Obviously, I I understand the suspension of disbelief is important with genre film. Um but seriously, use that whip more, bro. It was working every time. You're pulling people's heads off and shit. He, has he learned nothing from Devo? Ah, yeah. Especially when you can whip it that good, you, you have you must to. whip it. You must whip it. Um, there we go. That's like it took me a second to get to that joke formation, but we got there. Thank you for your help. Um, so the questions that uh, that I eventually landed on for this month it's a triple a triple dip a three-part okay uh what's your favorite genre what genre do you think they should make more of and what's your least favorite genre or genre that you tend to bounce off of um and i will say anthony went with a sub-genre for that last part if that helps you uh think of it um the and to foreground what we're doing this month is we've done comedy now we've done horror we'll still do sci-fi romance and action those are kind of the main genres we're circling. Um, for me, my favorite genre might be musical. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I just um, like it's like I don't think any of my favorite movies are musicals, but I just I love song and dance. I love like uh, show tunes kind of music, and I just don't, I like I love the suspension of disbelief that films can give you of like. Oh, everyone's going to stop and we're just going to sing and dance now. And I love just watching good people, people who are really good at dancing and people who do really good choreography work together. And it, I like I feel like it's like the first like special effect of like Grace Kelly, like dancing like that just looks great. Yeah, I mean, some some people are. Uh, it's like when. Channing Tatum does like some any actual dancing, like in Hail Caesar or the or the Magic Mike films or whatever. Yes. And you're like, oh shit, that's that's a different kind of person. Um that it just doesn't, you know, like you said, special effects. It's like, oh, I I that's not a thing I can do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's for other people. Um speaking of what with one thing you didn't mention in in you know what we've watched recently or 2023 movies is Wonka a secret musical that they didn't advertise as a musical. That's true. Um, but I think you've seen it according to I your list. Uh, yeah. I thought I, I like Wonka. I, I didn't think it was like incredible or anything or like uh, at the same level, like the Paddingtons. Um, yes. But same, I like same guy, same director is the Paddingtons. Uh, should, this, should mus say. this musical is more like here are some songs and then there's some dancing. There's not a whole lot of 
the dancing part of it. Yeah, I I've heard that. I, I do want to see it though. It looks apparently it's quite charming, according to some. It's definitely charming. There's I have issues with the third act, but I still I still like the movie. It's uh, especially the first two acts. I think they're just it's very light. It's very charming, and especially like for like kids movies, like this one just doesn't like talk down to you or like treat you like as an like as smaller or something. Like it's just nice. Sorry, I was yawning halfway through that. My bad. <laughs> that's that's, that's good. It's good that it doesn't talk down to you. That part of it at least sounds a lot like the Paddington movies. Yes. Um. So, one big one, currently the number one movie in the country in theaters right now. Good number one as we're recording, at least. Um, would that also be your pick for a genre they should make more of, or would you go in a different direction? I'm actually going a different direction for a genre they should make more of, which is whodunits. Agreed. Which is- I believe it's more of a subgenre, but like, I just love a good mystery. Yeah. Like, uh, I think two years, no, it was not, uh, yeah, two years now since it's 2024. Uh, uh, Confess Fletch came out with John Hamm. Yep. And that movie's good. It's not like great or anything, but like, I, it's a, like that kind of movie, just something I would love to see like 20 more of, just because like, I just kind of like someone who's this smart and like figures something out. Like that's just good. That's just good filmmaking. Yeah. Um when we did Who Done It Month, I think if you look back on those episodes, you'd you'll note that we had to reach pretty far back to get a whole month out of it. Um just because they don't make a lot of those, even though it's one of the classic formats people tend to love. Um, the only one who gets to make those now is Ryan Johnson, and he just makes deconstructions of that. But like a yep. pure a pure actual who done it. You just don't really get ever. No, and I just would love to see that genre like get revived or, or like get more of. Like, I, like after Knives Out came uh, was released, I was surprised there weren't more like imitators that came out. That is surprising. It's I I guess I don't know that especially Knives Out compared to Glass Onion is is I feel like a lot tighter and maybe it just scared people off of trying to do that or or probably. Uh, there probably were a lot of scripts floating around, but it probably scared studios off of financing them because yeah, um, that's not just like, um, in my mind, at least a good, well-made movie that works well. It also happens to have a lot of famous people in it. So it's probably expensive to make one of those. Yeah. And a lot of the like big whodunits usually do have like a lot of just famous people in them. Um, yeah. That's part I of the tradition really. And we, I know we did have the like the uh, Kenneth Branagh's uh, Hercule Poirot movies, um, yeah. and uh, actually um, last year there was the ha- a Haunting in Venice, which is actually really good. <laughs> I haven't watched it yet. I, w- I want to. I'm, I think it's probably out on streaming soon. I know it's out on home video. I feel like it's on Hulu already. Oh no, I'm not 100 percent sure on that. I've been feeling spooky lately, like I said, so I'll probably Ooh. bang that one out. Uh, check it out. It's it's the mystery itself is relatively easy to solve, but it's still like I love the med- the melding of genres in that one. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's probably a miss remiss to not mention Branagh as a guy who's keeping it alive. But I think you were talking about like new ones that aren't like, um, I don't know if it's different, but I know for at least you know you can kind of th- those things already exist and have for a while, so it's not. You kind of just want original shit too. Yeah, no, I I still want like a, more knives out stuff where it's like here here's a new thing. It's not based off of anything. Just go yeah. with it. Yeah, exactly. All right, and then what's something that you bounce off of genre wise? Uh, when you say bounce off, you mean like something I'm just not crazy about? Yeah, I was just figuring since you watch so many movies, it might be hard to be like, oh, I hate all movies in this genre, but something that's harder for you to get into or that you um, don't return to as much. Yeah, I know exactly what it is. It's it's more of a subgenre, but it's any yeah. sort of um, high class British um, <laughs> like period piece of like, oh, this movie is about like, oh, this person's not proper. Uh, and they're not going to fit into this society. And it's just that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, Tom Jones or um, uh, a view uh, the, uh, from a window or whatever it's called. I don't know. 
Yeah, Just, all the uh, the merchant ivory stuff is what I yeah. kind of lump that into. My um, last episode, Anthony and I got a lot of uh, I don't know, enjoyment out of the some of the, the among the last jokes in Waiting for Guffman were Corky showing off his remains of the day lunchboxes. <laughs> um, like, yeah, exactly. Good movie, but like instant punchline. Just it's funny to think about those movies. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. And then the idea that like a, a child would be excited by what sounds like the most boring movie ever made. <laughs> anyway. I, I haven't seen Waiting for Guffman, but I do really like that joke. Yeah, well, there you go. I spoiled the best joke in the movie. <laughs> um, my answers would be pretty much the same. I'm trying to get more into horror. They're making tons of it, though. It's it's constantly more horror coming out. I'm going to see Night Swim. Why not? <laughs> Yeah, they're saying, Marco, you got to go there and say polo. I'm, you know what? I will be poloing my way to the theater along with everyone else. It's a Blumhouse movie. Everyone's going to make fun of it and then it's going to come out and make 12 times its budget. Yep. Uh, It's Carrie Condon's follow up to Banshee's of Inishira. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, really? Yeah, she's starring in it. It's her first movie that I could go see in a theater since Banshee the Minish year. Well, so. That's true, so. I like well, Wyatt Russell a lot. He looks almost like one of my favorite actors of all time. <laughs> Weird. Um, for the same reason, I am trying to watch Monarch Legacy of Monsters on Apple TV. Ooh. Because him and his dad played the same character. His dad, of course, Kurt Russell. Um, and anyway, all that to say, you know, movies are movies are good. I don't know. Maybe that's how I should end the podcast. Movies good. Movies are good. And then for genres I don't like, I also don't like boring movies. <laughs> yeah, boring movies. Just I don't know. I don't know what you think, but like they're boring. On that note, I think we're all done here. I may be a bastard, but I'm not a fucking bastard. And I drive off in my convertible to El Rey. Good luck, Ben. That's what he says to Juliet Lewis. I think. Yes. Yeah, I, I think he says all that. He say, "I'm gonna drum, drive into. I'm gonna drive in my convertible and get the fuck over to El Rey." We didn't mention this. George Clooney narrates everything he does in in first person, but still, he's narr- he's narrating it out loud the whole movie. Yeah, I noticed sometimes he you'll you'll if you he, listen uh, closely enough, you'll be like interior bar. Yeah, it's um, I don't know. This is it, like we said; it's his first major Hollywood starring role, so he he had a lot to learn. Yeah, only I few, think only a few years before Ocean's Eleven, you can tell he only does it a few times at Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was still learning. I mean, especially in Dust Till Dawn, he's learning, and I you can see uh, Robert Rodriguez being like, "I'm gonna I'm gonna be easy on him. He's a nice guy." So, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Foz. Oh, thanks, Ben. Movies are good. Movies are good. You can find more of our stuff on Linktree. That's linktr.e slash late to the movie. Spell it out. Don't use numbers. And until next time, uh, we got all kinds of pocket. I don't have it in front of me anymore. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, you had a good try. <laughs> this is uh, Chet Podcast. Uh, I'll talk to you next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye.